All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, 8020 Baseball Coaching Community. We are here to efficiently and effectively become better baseball coaches, specifically at the youth level. Although we talk about some advanced stuff on here, I love talking about advanced stuff. And while we do hit on some advanced topics from time to time because it's fun, we try our best to focus on what is important, the 80-20 of youth baseball. And we do it efficiently. The key principles that I started this 80-20 baseball mission on to help youth baseball coaches was to try to get as much quality information, good information, strategies, tactics, coaching plans, coaching methods to all of you great dads and moms out there and some of you that are just helping out the youth community that don't have kids or your kids are older and you're just giving back. And I'm trying to give you as much as I can in an efficient way. First, by taking out what is more for professional and college and elite high school players so we don't get caught up in that too much. And really focusing on what we can do out there two to three days a week, typically two days a week in practice. And as the season starts getting going, a lot of times it's just one practice or one and a half or at the most two practices a week. It's not a lot of time. So our principles here are to be efficient, also to vet everything, and not just to choose something based on how glitzy it looks, how shiny it is, the new coaching method that's out there, but also not to be stuck in old school methods just to be stuck in there. What we're really doing here is trying to combine at the highest level of quality, efficiency and effectiveness when it comes to going out there and being a great youth baseball coach. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, happy 4th of July. This episode, it's going live on the 4th. Happy 4th of July. About 94% of our listeners are in the United States. If you're outside the United States, hey, extra celebrations are always cool. And I always get pumped up when I see other countries celebrating things that they're doing. It fires me up even though I'm not there, even though that may not be something that we celebrate or I celebrate. I just get pumped up when people are thankful for what they have and appreciative of the great things that we do have in our lives. And the 4th of July is a big deal. The 4th of July is a big deal in the United States, of course. And it's one of my favorite days of the year. I'm a huge 4th of July fan. It's during the summer. So when I was younger, school was obviously out. That was always cool. Spent all my summers, 4th of July is up in Butte, Montana, which it was a free for all with fireworks. Anything went. Great fireworks show going off a of big Butte. 4th of July is a awesome time. And hope everybody has a wonderful 4th of July. And while we're having a great time with our family and friends, I think it's important to always keep in mind, at least in the back of our mind, if not bringing it to the forefront in our minds, the top of mind from time to time, our appreciation for our great country, the United States, the things that we have this time that we live in. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. With that said, I'm going to keep this episode a little bit shorter than normal. I am headed out to the Boise River in about an hour to go float. My old man is coming by. My daughter and I are going to go float the Boise River. We're going to drop the car off downriver. My old man is going to take me upriver. My first baseball coach, my pops. So he's going to drive us up the river, drop us off. And he's coming over here in a little bit. And we're going to head on over to the river. If you're ever in Boise in the summertime, you got to float the Boise River. Being from the LA, the Los Angeles area, rivers were not something that you floated on. They weren't something you went near for the most part. You definitely didn't go put your feet in. And a lot of times there wasn't even water and it was concrete. Pretty much all the way through LA and Southern California, the rivers are just concrete. They come out of the mountains, nice clear water. 
And then they go into basically concrete. So the Boise River is like a real river with trees and very little concrete. You almost kind of feel like you're lost. You're going pretty much cutting right through town, just a little south of downtown. And you feel like you're floating a mountain river through some stretches. There are some houses and some buildings. You go by the stadium at Boise State. It's pretty cool. But anyways, we're going to keep this episode short because I'm going to go do that. And then I'm going to catch some baseball this evening. So let's dive in to the episode. We're going to discuss how we as coaches give praise and why that's important. How we give it, not just that we give it out. We're also going to talk about how to show kids how to show our players how we want them to play by using video to speed up their understanding of how we want them to hustle, play the game. We'll dive into that. And I have good news for new coaches. And it's going to give you more confidence going out on the field. We're going to dive into that. It has to do with teaching the game, planning practices, etc. So I saw a tweet the other day, Luis Arares, or as they say in English, Luis Arise, his whiff rate when swinging at pitches out of the strike zone. The amount of times he misses when he swings at pitches out of the strike zone, 11%. To give you some context, MLB hitters this year, swing and miss 44% of the time on pitches out of the strike zone, 44. So he is four times better than the MLB average, four times better than the MLB average. And here are the six things that I see him doing as a hitter that make him elite. No particular order, but here are the six things that I see him do better than your average hitter that makes him so elite. And again, if you haven't seen him play, he plays for the Miami Marlins. There's a lot of video online on YouTube. You can watch plenty of video on MLB.com of him. And his last name is A-R-R-A-E-Z. And he's putting together quite the year. Had a great year last year. And definitely a hitter that young hitters should look to learn from because he's not just gargantuan, bigger than life, Aaron Judge type player. He's definitely a player that a lot of kids could relate to in terms of being an average size for his level and really getting the most out of his ability. First thing he does really well is he waits to clearly see the pitch before deciding to swing. He waits to see the pitch before deciding to swing. If you watch him closely, you can tell that he is not committing to a pitch until he sees it. He really sees it and then he decides. Number two, he's not even looking for pitches outside of a certain zone. With less than two strikes, he's got a really tight hitting zone that he's looking at. He's looking for pitches that he can hit for doubles. And if it's not something he can drive for a line drive, he's taking it. With two strikes, he doesn't expand his zone much further than a few inches outside of the strike zone. Very rarely does he swing at pitches more than a few inches outside of the strike zone. Some hitters are swinging at pitches with two strikes six inches off, a foot off the plate, or even a foot below the strike zone. Look at pitches that bounce in the dirt. Those are 18 inches below the knees. He doesn't swing at those pitches. He doesn't chase pitches more than an inch or two outside of the strike zone. And occasionally he'll chase one that's a little further than that, but he tightens the zone he's looking for even with two strikes. Now with youth players, this is a little harder because the umpires vary a lot more. So caution on that one. Number three, he probably practices hitting a lot of different pitches in different locations via toss or tee. This gets a lot of reps at hitting pitches in a lot of different locations via a short toss or tee work, hitting off the hitting tee. He probably practices hitting a lot of different pitches in different locations. So if he does end up swinging at a pitch that ends up being a little out of the zone or out of that zone of quality contact, he can still get a piece of it. He can still foul it off. Speaking of that, 
Number four, to me, he's not looking to do too much with those pitches that are outside of the strike zone, especially with two strikes. With two strikes, he's not looking to do too much. If anything, he's just really looking to foul them off. He's not looking to turn a pitch that's a pitcher's pitch or a pitch outside of the strike zone, much less outside of his hitting zone, into a solid double or a home run or anything of the sort. He's really just trying to do what he can with those pitches, and he's okay with just fouling them off. He's okay getting to the next pitch rather than striking out. Number five, he has an efficient path. He has an efficient swing path. He has a very efficient bat path. It doesn't have any extra movements from the start to when he makes contact. Very efficient bat path. Ted Williams talks about this at length. Super important. Efficient bat path is almost as important as a quick bat path. Speaking of that, number six, he does have a quick bat. So those six things, what separates him and being elite, Luis Arares, or in English, Luis Arise for the Miami Marlins, left-handed hitter. Number one, he waits to clearly see a pitch before deciding to swing. Number two, he's not looking for pitches outside of a certain zone. He's got a tighter zone, visual zone that he's looking for. He's tightened up his pitch selection with less than two strikes and with two strikes. Number three, he probably practices hitting a lot of different pitches in different locations via toss and tee. This allows a lot more reps in those random locations. Number four, he's not looking to do too much with those pitches with two strikes that are outside he's looking just to foul him off a lot of times living to see the next pitch fighting it off so he can get the next pitch which hopefully his his whole idea or his thought process and all good hitters with two strikes is if i can just foul off these pitches that i can't really do anything with the pitcher is going to make a mistake one of these pitches and i'm going to get a pitch i can hit a line drive on that doesn't guarantee a hit but at least it's a lot better than trying to do something with these pitches that are two or three inches off the plate trying to do something with those ends up just being an easy out number five he has an efficient swing path very efficient no wasted movement number six he's got a quick bat so those are the key things that i'm seeing him do that lead to this statistic of only swinging and missing 11 percent of pitches outside of the strike zone when the average mlb hitter is missing 44 percent of those pitches four times more not high school hitters not college hitters his peers at the major league level are swinging and missing at pitches outside of the strike zone four times more than him that's crazy so i saw that stat this was by codify baseball at codify baseball they put out some good stuff. That's a good Twitter account. C-O-D-I-F-Y baseball at codify baseball. They put out some really good stats. When I say good stats, they put out some really useful stats, get you thinking, and you can kind of tie it back to how to be a better coach, how to be a better player. So I saw that. Now, giving praise. It's very important how we give praise, not just that we give it. Now, it's all on a spectrum, right? It's not this black and white thing. So you have the coaches that don't praise at all, and then the coaches that are always throwing out so much praise, it dilutes it. And it's not authentic. It's very generic. That's not good either. Where you want to be is right in the middle somewhere. You want to be somebody who gives out praise consistently, but not all the time. What I mean by consistently is when you see something that warrants praise, authentic praise, you give out specific praise, not just, hey, good job, or, hey, you're a great hitter. Or, definitely don't say you're a great hitter and, hey, you're such a great defender or you're so great at this. Praise their actions. Praise the process more than the result. Does that make sense? And we do the same with our kids, right? It's not a good idea to tell kids they're smart. I'm learning this as a parent, but this is what all the experts say. It's almost consensus. There's a lot of back and forth between parenting strategies and what works and what doesn't. But one that seems to be pretty much set across the board and how the experts, those that teach, write books, authors, scholars, people doing the studies on parenting, parenting strategies, they're in agreement with 
not just telling kids that, hey, you're smart. In other words, tell them, hey, I really like how you took on that problem. And you started with brainstorming, for example, and you wrote out some possible solutions and then X, Y, and Z. And you kind of, you're praising the process more than just saying they're smart. And it makes a lot of sense. Like you're a great hitter. The hitter strikes out and you're telling them they're a great hitter. They start having this kind of conflict in their mind. And I think there's something to keep an eye on. So when we give praise, we don't just want to give it out just to give it out because we got some huge quota we're trying to reach. And we definitely don't want it to be generic. Good job. Well done. Awesome. Those would be the most generic of compliments. We want to avoid those. We want to be specific. We want to be authentic. So when you're authentic, that's where you get some energy behind it. The tone and the energy is, wow, you really did think that was an awesome play. And if you can be even more specific, praise the process, the hustle, praise the things they're doing that you're coaching them up on that got them to make that great play or get that great hit or throw more strikes. So we want to be specific with our praise, although we're not trying to build up their self-esteem by just giving them loads of praise. We need it to be authentic. We need it to be specific. And in my opinion, if you're looking for the good, if you're looking for it, you will give out the exact amount of praise that we should as coaches. If we're looking for it, we're going to give out the right amount of praise because it will be merited. We're not just giving it out just because, wow, I got to give out some, okay, this kid's having, I got to find a way to give him praise. If we're looking for it and we're looking closely to give out praise instead of looking for the things that kids are doing wrong, which it's a balance. You're looking for things that they need to get better at. And you're definitely looking for areas where they're not hustling and not being coachable or being a disrespectful teammate. You're definitely always on the lookout for that, but you're looking for things when they're doing things right. And then you give them authentic praise. And I'll tell you what, praise loud, criticize softly. Praise loud, criticize and critique softly. Certain kids can take a little more heat in front of their peers. They can take a little more of a critique in front of their peers and others. Just be cautious with that. That's a fine line. And if you're really good at it, go for it. So it's not just about giving praise or not giving praise or over praising or coddling or over this, that, and the other, like the self-esteem movement that came through in the, I think I want to say it started in the seventies and eighties and nineties at just full force. It's been self-esteem in the schools and it's not working out really well. That's what the evidence and the research is not showing up really good evidence. In fact, they're finding that it's probably backfiring. And now does that mean we should just stop giving praise and stop telling kids that they're good and this, that, and the other? No, but I think we just need to do it in a different way. So what got me thinking about this is I was reading a parenting book this last week. And it got me thinking about that because the author had some really good points, but I thought if I'm just listening to this and I'm a new parent, I haven't been a teacher for a long time. I haven't been a youth coach for a long time. I'm thinking, man, this author makes a lot of sense. It's a really well-known book, been around a long time. And it, it comes across like he's saying, don't praise ever. Let's not boost their self-esteem ever. I don't think that's the way to go. And I just think it's not about being hard on kids or being soft on kids. I think it's about being authentic, being specific, but also, yes, Having a, a line in the sand when it comes to hustle and the, the small amount of team rules that you should have, those should be upheld. Nothing better than giving specific, authentic praise to players when you see it happen, when you see it warranted, but also being able to just flip the switch and implement or uphold the standard expectation or rules that you have. It's the best. That's how you do it. It's not one or the other. They go together. All right. Now we're going to transition into this next part. I highly recommend we show players video of their favorite players, of professional players, of college players, maybe other players from games that you have video of, of your teams from previous years. That's a little harder to do, but show them how you want them to play, what you think the level of their hustle should look like. Show them great plays. There's a plethora of videos on YouTube of players hustling. Also, there are a plethora of videos of players, baseball players, making high IQ baseball plays. These videos are already out there. 
Some of them are just five or 10 minutes. You could show them to the team, bring out a TV, have somebody bring out one of these flat screens, a 40 inch, they're pretty light these days, or a 50 inch TV, bring out a little battery box. Somebody's gotta have one of those, plug it in. You might have to run your phone on a USB cable into the, or an HDMI into the back. I'm just saying you could send it to them and have them watch it on their own, or you could just really quickly find a way to show it to them at practice. 10 minutes. Hey, watch this. Watch this hustle highlight reel. Show your players what great plays look like, what high IQ plays look like. It plants the seed. It lets them know, okay, that's what it looks like. That's that's the end goal. You're showing them the goal. We can tell them, but then they see it. Oh, that's what it means to hustle out of the box. That's what it means to turn a single into a double. That's what it means to get out of the box hard and really look two on a base hit. That's what it looks to take two bases on a wild pitch that bounces up the backstop and around towards the dugout. They start to see that, and then it starts to plant these ideas, these seeds of possibilities that they can now do. Yeah, so show players videos. If it's your own kid, just show them a video. Just pop it on the TV and say, hey, let's watch this. I would recommend having the exact video or videos that you want to show them ready to go. I wouldn't start surfing and searching and then showing, hey, let's sit down and try to find one. No, I would have some that you've already vetted and watched and then show it to them. I know this sounds a little, kind of on the surface, a little gimmicky, but it's not, trust me, this is this is a very good thing to do and a very useful thing to do. It speeds up their understanding of how you want them to play the game, how you would like them to start hustling and play the game and think about the game and see the situations better. All right, our coaching quote of the week. Before we get into part three, let's hit this coaching quote of the week. All kids need is a little help, a little hope, and somebody who believes in them. End quote. Magic Johnson. Irvin Magic Johnson. The magic man. Quote, all kids need is a little help, a little hope, and somebody who believes in them. I like how he says a little help. They don't need all the help. They just need some help. They need some hope and somebody who believes in them. Love it. Love it. Magic with some wise words to coaches. That's from coachestrainingroom.com. I got that from coachestrainingroom.com. Quote, all kids need is a little help, a little hope, and somebody who believes in them. End quote, Magic Johnson. All right, the last part of this episode, good news for new coaches. This is going to give you more confidence going out on the field. Simplicity is the way to go when it comes to teaching and coaching and parenting. Simplicity, when it comes to playing and coaching players allows players to play faster, make better decisions, play more athletic, more fluid. And this is good news because all we need to know are the two or three key needle movers, the two or three key things, sometimes just the one thing, but typically two or three of the, the key things that help each action, each specific skill, hitting, pitching, base running, fielding ground balls, playing the outfield, catching, the catching position that is. Players want and need simplicity, they need the game simplified. We want to coach them up to get better. But the good news is we don't need to know all 26 things that make a hitter tick, that make a hitter a great hitter. I saw a practice planning guide by a college coach and it had 76 items to coach up. Were all of them valid? Yes, they were all valid. For youth coaches, we could have shaved off half right off the top. And then from that half, you could shave off the another half of that and get down to about 25% are things that you really need to focus on. That's going to drive 96%, 98% of your team, your player's success. And each skill, each action out there on the field has two or three key things that the hitter or the player, the pitcher, the base runner, the infielder, the outfielder needs to know 
and sometimes just one thing at a time that they need to know and do. And the good news is we don't need to go out there and know everything about hitting. We don't need to go out there as youth coaches and know everything about pitching. In fact, paralysis by analysis happens a lot of times, not by the coaches that know very little. The newer coaches that are new to it have less experience. It happens by the coaches that have been in the game a long time, that have heard and read and seen and coached it a million different ways or seen so much different stuff, or they understand all the little intricacies and then they can't see the key needle movers because... They're so deep in the trenches, they don't have this. They can't step back and go, all right, hold on a second. I know these 15 things about pitching, but hold on, we got to back up. What are the two or three things that we need to teach? Part of that is because some coaches want to sound sophisticated. So they talk about these little lesser known things, which is fine. That's great when you're having a beer with some college coaches or some pro coaches and you're getting into the nitty gritty and you're having fun. You've been talking for three hours. That's fun. I like doing that, but that's not the effective way to go for youth coaches. In a lot of cases, not even for high school. In fact, for a lot of levels, it's overcomplicating, slows players down. It diminishes the quality of their decision-making overall. So this is great news. As youth coaches, you don't need to know everything about every part of the game. In fact, you're probably going to be better off and your players are going to be better off with you knowing just a few of the key things and teaching those things. And then let the game do the rest of the teaching. Let quality reps do the rest of the teaching. Or other coaches can step in and help fill in some of those pieces. And I think this is really great because it all involves or it all revolves around the 80-20 principle. The 80-20 principle is it calms you and it gives you confidence if you understand that the 80-20 principle is saying, hey, I don't need to know all 25 of these things. I just need to know the five things that are going to drive 80%, 90% of the success for my players, my team. And that's great. That's great to know. So when you're planning practice and you're going out there doing some practice planning and you're going out to the field, just remember, you don't need to know it all. You just need to know the few things really well, or at least well enough to teach the kids in a simple way too. Simplicity, coaching up in a simple way, I mean, that's what we really try to do here is give it to you in a simple way. We're taking these complex things, some complex items, and we're trying to give it to you in a simpler way, although we do dive into it from time to time so you can understand the nitty-gritty behind it, the evidence, the rationale, the deductive reasoning, and then we go from there with the simple version of it for our players. So that's good news. Youth coaches, you can coach the game as good as an expert coach insofar as you go out there and you coach up the two or three key things, sometimes just the one key thing, sometimes two, sometimes three, things that are going to move your players in the right direction with the skill or the actions that they're doing out on the field. And this also goes for team culture. So wanted to share that. We'll leave on that positive note. Happy 4th of July, everybody. If you're listening to this after the 4th of July, I hope you had a wonderful 4th and I hope you continue to have a wonderful summer. Next week, we have our top coaching tweets of the month coming to you. Head over and get the Drill Design Guide, 8020baseball.com. You can follow me on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball. You can support the podcast by simply just leaving a review or um, a rating or sharing it. Share it. Send it out. Just send the link out. Share it. That would be a much appreciated way for you to share and support this podcast. Love being here with all of you. Email me your success stories. I love getting emails from all of you. CoachBo at 8020baseball.com. Hope you all have a great week. Great rest of your day. And until next week, take care of yourself, take care of your health, your family, your friends, and take this out there. Make the baseball community a better place. Make your players better, your team better. We'll see you next week. Adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.